Good morning, Berean. We're in Galatians chapter 5. We're continuing our series this morning. Now you can see my pretty face. Okay. I heard an interview this week by a minister down in Louisville. Uh, he, he pastors at a large church down there, Kyle Eidelman. He's a well-known author and teacher. And he was interviewing a, a man or talking to a man one day who had left the church when he was about 18 years old, and he hadn't returned back. And Kyle Eidelman was talking to him and said, you know, can I just ask you, why did you leave church, and why haven't you come back? And this young man went on to say that it seemed like every week when he went to church, it was the same message. This young man says, I'm trying to be a good Christian. I'm trying. But I come to church and I'm reminded that I'm not doing a very good job. And I'm told to go home every week and to try harder. To keep trying harder. Now, I'm not much into arcade games but I guess at the end, sometimes it says, thanks for playing, try again. And in a way, he viewed his Christian life of, I don't, I'm not living the Christian life, I just have to go home, use more determination, I have to keep on trying harder, trying harder, trying harder. Let me tell you, the message this morning from God's word is, the Christian life is not about trying. It's about relying. Amen. It's about relying on the Holy Spirit of God. Most of you are probably like me when it comes to New Year's resolutions. January 1st, most people in our country, the number one resolution Eat less, move more. So people go in with a lot of determination. I'm going to eat better. I'm going to move more. Self-will has limitations. Self-determination has limitations. So about January 2nd or 3rd, <laughs> as you're sitting watching football, eating Twinkies and having ice cream, you realize that there's a limitation to determination and self-will. It's not about trying harder. It's about relying on the Holy Spirit as we go through our Christian walk. Let's take a look at Galatians 5, verse 7. You were running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? We have some visitors this morning. We've been going through the book of Galatians. And Paul is a little bit upset in this epistle. He's more than upset. He had established some churches in the area of Galatia. Some early churches, they were growing in the Lord. And then these Judaizers came. And as Jim read this morning, these Judaizers came and they said, you have to have more than Jesus Christ. You have to follow the law of Moses. 
You have to be circumcised. You have to do this, 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 this. And Paul is saying here, and as a longtime competitive runner myself and as a track coach for many years, I've been on both sides of this. There's a picture up here of some runners in a lane. And in track, in some of the shorter races, you have to stay in your lane. In some of the longer races, you have to stay in your lane for a while, but then you're allowed to cut in. But the rule in track is when you cut in, you can never cut right in front of someone. You cannot impede their stride. You cannot break up their stride. You've got to make sure you have enough room before you cut in. Now, there's judges in the area that are looking, and you're, you hope that they're looking, and they're trying to look for any violations. So I've been on both sides of this. So Paul is saying, you were running a good race. You started out really well. Who cut in front of you and cut you off? And it was the Judaizers that did that. The initial growth was good. The race started off well. You believed in justification by faith alone. And then some false leaders came and said, salvation is more than just faith. You've got to do this, 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 if you really want to be saved. Verse 8. That kind of persuasion does not come from the one who caused you. This message is not from God. Way back in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, Paul says, someone has bewitched you. Someone has put a magical spell on you, and it's drawing you to false beliefs. It's not the voice of God that's doing this. The voice of God says that you're saved by faith alone, not by following the law. He goes on to quote verse 9. A little yeast works through a whole batch of dough. This is mentioned throughout the Bible, 1 Corinthians 5, 6. A little yeast causes the whole lump of dough to rise. And in Scripture, yeast, leaven, is a symbol for corruption, for evil. And what Paul is telling the Galatians, don't make these little compromises. If you compromise your doctrine, even in a little way, or if you accept a little bit of the teaching of these false uh, teachers, it's going to spread. They're going to say, oh, follow this one law. And if you follow that law, oh, next, follow this law. Then follow this law. Then follow that law. And pretty soon, everything is corrupt. And your doctrine is way off base. Paul is hoping in this letter of Galatians that it's, the letter is reaching them before it's had a chance to spread too far. He's trying to eradicate the already existing leaven that's in their midst. And Paul's got confidence in this message, verse 10. It says, uh, the one who, let me go back here, my, my, my I am confident in the Lord that you will take no other view. The one who is throwing you into confusion, whoever that may be, will have to pay the penalty. Boy, I feel bad for those false teachers. 
on Judgment Day. You know, in a track meet, there's track judges. And uh, there's a picture of a guy right there. And you're hoping that when someone cuts you off, that the judge sees it. Now, there, there is some instant, for example, uh, wearing sharp spikes, and I've seen this before, where a person cuts in too quick, and they pay the penalty quickly when sharp metal spikes go into the back of their calf. But there's always the risk to the runner running the race that they don't get tripped up themselves. But hopefully the judge sees it. But judges don't see everything. But our Heavenly Father, the righteous, perfect judge, does see everything. And nothing will escape his vision. Verse 11. Brothers and sisters, if I am still preaching circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been abolished. Paul is saying, you know, I, I'm being persecuted right now. And the reason why I'm being persecuted is I'm declaring the truth. If I was preaching the same thing as the Judaizers, they would leave me alone. But I am teaching the truth that they cannot accept. And for them, the cross offends them. And to be honest with you, the cross offends many people. And the reason the cross offends a lot of people, because people have to admit that I'm a sinner, I need a savior, I cannot save myself. And unfortunately, there's many people in our day, that there's pride. I'm a good person. I can do it on my own. I don't need a savior. And what the cross declares, you cannot save yourself. It's only by the blood of Jesus Christ that you're saved. So against, it goes against man's ambition and their pride in admitting that they need help. And that the cross is the solution to our sin problem. The truth can't offend. How many people, and I'm sure there's people in this audience this morning, that when you've shared with even close family members, the cross offends people. The cross offends co-workers, neighbors, close. We even saw last week, just within a family, Sarah and Abraham and Hagar and Ishmael, just the conflict within the family. Jesus says, don't be surprised when people hate you when you share the truth. They persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. Don't be surprised. The cross can be offensive to many people. Now, Paul is, Paul is mad here. If you're easily embarrassed, I want you to close your ears for the next minute. I want you to show, tell you how mad in verse 12. As for those agitators, those Judaizers, I'd wish they go the whole way and emasculate themselves. Is that mad? Paul says, hey, you keep on talking circumcision, circumcision. Why don't you just go ahead and do the whole thing? Castrate yourself, emasculate yourself. Now, commentators would, would even take that 
teaching further and say, you know, a person, an emasculated man, has lost the power of uh, propagation. They can't multiply. They're impotent in multiplying. And that's what he's saying. He's saying, go ahead. That's how mad I am. Go ahead and go the whole way. Verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. But do not use your freedom to indulge in the flesh. It's true. We, we're free in Jesus Christ. We don't have to follow a list of rules of do's and don'ts. But at the same time, we need to be careful. With freedom comes responsibility. You know, there are so many things out there today that you can become enslaved to. In your freedom to Christ, if I drink too much, I could become an alcoholic. I could become addicted to opioids. I could become addicted to pornography. I could become addicted to gambling. So, yes, we have freedom, but there's many things in life that could enslave us, and we could become slaves to sin. Freedom requires discipline, or it disintegrates into anarchy. So we, we need to be responsible in our freedom. What should we do? The second part of verse 13, reading through 15. Rather, serve one another, humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Yes, we have freedom, but we need to make sure that we, we show love to our neighbor. Do you remember the expert in the law came up to Jesus and he was testing Jesus? And, you know, the, the Jews back in Bible days, they, they had like over... Um, 600 or so laws. You talk about a burden. Trying to remember over 600 laws and trying to keep them. And he came up to Jesus and said, what is the greatest commandment in the whole Bible? And Jesus says in Matthew 22, verse 35, one of them, the expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Wouldn't this world be a, a better place today if people followed two of those commands? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. In response to the love of God, we go out and we love our neighbor. And who is your neighbor? Well, remember the Good Samaritan? Anybody around you is your neighbor. That we need to respect and love one another. So Jesus here made freedom very simple. Love God Love your neighbor. Genuine love is more than an external obedience that the Pharisees 
They were very good at external obedience. Jesus Christ wanted the love to come from our heart, from inside, and show to other people. Now, the Judaizers had caused divisions already in the church. And we know that Jesus said a house divided against itself cannot stand. So we're given a warning in these verses that if you bite and devour each other, watch out or you will be destroyed by each other. Let me read the next three verses. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Walk, walking by the Spirit just emphasizes the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit within us. There's two forces within, within us. We have the Holy Spirit as Christians, and we have this flesh, this, this sinful flesh. Now, Paul is not saying that both are equal. Paul is not saying the Holy Spirit is infinitely greater than the flesh. Sin is no longer our master as a Christian. But on this earth, we've got the flesh and we've got the Holy Spirit as a Christian. And there's a struggle there. Now, I want to quote a great theologian this morning, Miss Patricia. The flesh is a mess. For Miss Patricia... The flesh is a mess. Do I hear an amen there? Okay. You know, Ephesians tells us, 5.18, don't get drunk on wine that leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. When a person gets drunk, they're under the influence of the alcohol. They don't act in a normal way. When we're empowered by the Holy Spirit, we're influenced by the Holy Spirit. We behave and act and think in a godly way. Now, when I say do not get drunk, I can honestly stand before you this morning and say that I have never been drunk in my life. I, I grew up in a very legalistic Baptist church, no drinking. And I can honestly say, I've never been drunk. The closest I ever got was one time I was sick in NyQuil. <laughs> you know that little plastic cup on the top of NyQuil? You're only supposed to do a cup? One time I had a cup and a half. <laughs> I think I slept for a day and a half. That's the closest. But we're to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember, it's not about trying. It's about relying. Speak of empowering, my cell phone is just about dead. Uh, hey, this will happen to be a, a power strip in here. Now i got to find a place to plug it in. 
Hey, I got an idea. You know what? I'm still losing power. I guess it's not good to plug into yourself. Hmm. You know what? We as Christians, you know what we do a lot? We plug into ourselves. Instead of plugging into an outside source, instead of plugging into the Holy Spirit, so to speak, we plug into ourselves. Every day it's a struggle against our flesh. And so many times we, we take pride in ourselves. I can do this, I can do this, I can get through this. And we plug into ourself, and then we wonder why we fail. We need to plug in to the Holy Spirit and be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Now, it's nice to know that when we struggle that the great Apostle Paul, he struggled. When you take a look at Romans 6 and 7, he says there's this old flesh that we have. And, you know, we're going to have this flesh until we get our incorruptible resurrected body. And, yes, sin is no longer a master. We have, we have the Holy Spirit. But there's always this struggle that we have. And we're, we live in the world where Satan is the prince of this world. As a Christian, we're actually fighting behind enemy lines. Because this world belongs to Satan. But as a Christian at conversion, we receive the Holy Spirit. We receive a new nature. But the Apostle Paul, let's take a look at some of his verses in Romans chapter 7. Take a look at verse 18. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do, I have to go back. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. And he cries out in verse 24, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And he answers it in the first part of 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. The great apostle Paul, he had this struggle. Things that he wanted to do, he didn't. The things he didn't want to do, he did. And we had that same struggle. Years ago, uh, many years ago at Plymouth Christian, I got the word one day that some grandparent at our school had made a lot of plaques with Bible verses on them. And that each teacher was supposed to go down during the day, grab a plaque, and we were supposed to hang it behind our desk. So either I forgot or 
I was busy. I probably forgot. But at the end of the day, I went down to get my verse. And there was only one plaque left. So I grabbed it. This was the plaque that I'm supposed to hang behind my desk. And it was a verse that Paul wrote in 1 Timothy 1.15. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. <laughs> you talk about humbling. I believe the King James verse, Version says, I am the chief of sinners. I believe it was in King James. But it's true. I mean, in our flesh, in our flesh, we're so capable of doing so much evil and sin. And we look forward. I mean, but greater, as a Christian, we have to remember, we have the Holy Spirit. 1 John 4, 4. You, dear children, are, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in this world. So with the Holy Spirit, we can have victory. You know, 1 Corinthians tells us that we can have victory over any temptation. God provides a way of escape when we are tempted. But it sure is a struggle, isn't it, at times? Every day, it's a struggle. And in verse 18, going back to Galatians, verse 18, it says, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. When you're led by the Spirit, you really don't have to worry about the law because if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to be fulfilling the law. And because you have the Spirit, that's proof that you're a Christian. The Holy Spirit's our seal. And if you have Christ, there's no condemnation for those in Jesus Christ. So we don't really have to worry about the law if we're being led by the Spirit. And this struggle is inevitable in our life, and it's important for, for growth. I was listening to a, a man speak on this subject. Uh, Ray Pritchard is his name. And he was talking about in Galatians about the walk by the Spirit. And he, makes, he made a very good point. Walking, to me, being an ex-runner, with bad knees. I'm doing more walking these days, but walking can be boring. Walking is not as exciting as running a race. That's exciting. Walking can be boring. Paul talks about running earlier. Now he's talking about walking. I mean, skipping, galloping, jumping, flying, skiing, Skating, those are all fun. Walking, but really, when you talk, think about this, when you walk by the Spirit, what walking is, is one step in front of the other, one step at a time, in the same direction. And if you walk in the Spirit, one step at a time, you'll reach your destination. I've done more reading during this whole COVID virus, and I read a book back in March of a guy 
who walked across the country. The book was written in the mid-70s. I never had a chance to read it until a couple weeks ago. But he walked across the whole country, one step at a time. It was slow. Sometimes he went through hot weather, cold weather, mountains, valleys, plains. But he made it to his destination, one step at a time. It wasn't always exciting. The Christian walk at times can be tedious. It can be filled with routine. We always want excitement. We always want the mountain high experience as we go through life. But life isn't always like that. And as we go through our daily life, we need to walk by the Spirit. One step at a time. Being empowered by the Holy Spirit. So when you're bored, one step at a time. When you're going through a mountaintop, one step at a time. A valley, one step at a time. And God will take you where he wants you to go as you mature in him. Now remember, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't plug into yourself. You're going to fail. Plug in to the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit empower. Remember, it's not about trying. It's about relying on the Holy Spirit. Let me close with Philippians 1.6. Paul said this. Being confident of this, that he who has begun a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, one step at a time, walking by the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we confess that many times we take matters into our own hands because of our pride. We try to live this life through our strong will or determination, and we fail. Lord, help us to realize that to live a life pleasing to you, to mature in you, we need to walk by the Spirit, that we need to be empowered by the Spirit. The flesh is a mess. We need to walk by the Spirit. I thank you so much this morning for our great salvation based on faith alone. It's a gift from you, not by works so that we cannot boast. Lord, we love you this morning. We praise you. You're a good, good Father. We pray this in all of God's people said, Amen.